for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Good morning. Anybody recognise where that uh, comes from? C.S. Lewis, that's right. Um, A writer of a a number of years ago, but he's still quoted all over the place. And uh, uh, I recommend, uh, if you've never read any of his books, um, going and having a look at... uh, Yeah, Mere Christianity is a good place to start, isn't it? So, good to be here. And uh, what a a subject uh, I have to to the responsibility of dealing with this morning. Um, what a privilege to, to talk about God is Jesus. Can you say that? God is Jesus. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that God is Jesus. Okay. Well, we have our vision statement, and uh, it talks about God's purpose for us. So let's just declare this. Stand up for a moment, and let's declare this together. Because this all ties in with what we've been doing these last few weeks in looking at God is, looking at the character of God. Let's share this together, shall we? Let's say this. Our vision is to grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and His presence, that are secure in their identity as His sons and daughters, and filled with the Holy Spirit, each one partnering with Jesus daily in extending His kingdom. Amen. Well... That's a good statement. And it reveals to us something of the importance of knowing God. Because unless we know our God, we cannot possibly fulfill that statement. Knowing God is important. It impacts our life. It impacts our worship. It impacts our witness. Therefore, doctrine and teaching are important for every one of us. And in many ways, all of us are, to some extent, theologians. Theologians, that's about the knowledge of God. And every one of us, in one way or another, to some extent, are theologians. We have our concepts of God. We, we understand certain things about God. And the question is, are they good? Are they right? Do they stand up? Um, so, and what we believe about Jesus is vitally important. For on it hangs the whole of our Christian faith, Christian life, Christian message. If we get it wrong here, essentially we get it wrong everywhere. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, well, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I suddenly had a knock at the door. And uh, I thought, oh, who's at the door at this particular time of day? And I opened the door, and uh, there was an older lady and a younger person standing there. At which point, the younger person uh, greeted me and then handed a leaflet over to me and spoke about this tremendous celebration that was going to be taking place in a couple of weeks' time, and how that there were going to be thousands and millions of people attending this celebration. And, uh, and then subsequently began to unpack that a bit and say that it was all about Jesus. I said, wow, okay. I said, the question for me is, what kind of Jesus are you celebrating? What kind of Jesus are you celebrating? And then we ultimately entered into quite a long discussion at which I understand the grandchildren were sort of eavesdropping on the conversation. What was all that? Who who was granddad talking to? What was all that about? Who were they? And they were the Jehovah's Witnesses. 
And as I listened, and I then went online and listened to one of their videos and, and just watched it and, and listened to it. And as I, as, as I was going through this very short video, I was going, yes, yes, that's true. Yes, yes, that's true. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, Jesus was born and he lived and he, he died for our sins. Yes, that's true. And then suddenly I heard something to which I said, no, that is not true. And because that was not true, that meant that it wasn't the Christian message. That it wasn't the gospel uh, that they were sharing with me or attempting to share with me on the doorstep. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And he who denies that Jesus as God has come in the flesh does not have the Father, let alone the Son, says John in his writing. So the Christian faith is about looking away from ourselves and, and looking unto Jesus, who, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the big danger for us, though, is if we're not careful, it becomes about my faith. It becomes about my confession. And this suddenly struck me once in the middle of the night, and I don't know how I was pondering this in the middle of the night or whether it was just God getting my attention, but somehow or other something was going on in my brain in the middle of the night, and, and this struck me with great power that we can say, I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I confess that G Jesus Christ has, has died for me and he rose again, that he's my Savior. I can confess that uh, I, I'm born again, that I'm a new creation, and yet... Unless we fully understand Jesus, it will never do what it was intended to do. And he will never accomplish what he intends to accomplish in our lives. So it can become more about my confession and how loud and how, how faith-filled I can make it instead of about Jesus himself. It's interesting that this Sunday is, is Palm Sunday. And you, you think of that, that great event as Easter is approaching and, and various people in different ways were, were thinking about Jesus as they watched this event taking place, as they watched him going into Jerusalem. Who was he? What was all this about? It's a massive statement to say that God is Jesus. And I don't know whether we comprehend how huge that statement is. It's a shocking statement. It's an astounding statement. As you see Jesus traveling into Jerusalem, you see a man. But as you see Jesus traveling into Jerusalem, you see somebody who was more than a man. He was God in human flesh. He was God dwelling among them. And we're just going to look at some false or inadequate ideas about Jesus. And there are some who think that, as we heard it in the clip at the very beginning, think that Jesus was simply a good man. He was a, a great moral teacher. Uh, he was a good example. He was a man of, of great insight and great wisdom. He was a healer. He, he loved people. He was a, a seeker of justice. He, he, he even had, we might say, an outstanding personality. And some would go so far as to say that he was divine, but with a small d. Others, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, say that Jesus was one of many spirit sons of God. But he was not the Son of God. And he certainly was not God. They would believe that he was created, that he existed before the known world, and, and that he was incarnated, he lived and he died for our sins, he, he rose again. They believe that, but they do not believe that he 
was God. There are some who would say that Christianity has distorted who Jesus really was. That if you go to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't portray Jesus as God. That Paul and the the later church, uh, through its creeds, and have made him to be more than he actually was. And there's quite a lot of people out there today who would take that route when they think about Jesus. And some, of course, have argued that Jesus never said he was God, which to some extent is true, because if you read the the Gospels, there is no particular statement where Jesus says, look, I am God. No particular statement. So there's some truth to that. But the fact is that Jesus was a man of his time, and we we need to remember that. He wasn't a man of the 21st century. He wasn't a man who had a a Facebook account or a Twitter account on on which you put your bio and said, hey guys, hey girls, this is who I am. That's very much a a 21st century thing where we, we want to declare to people, we want to say right up front, guys, girls, this is me. Jesus would not have gone around Israel saying, look guys and girls, it's me, I'm God. Believe in me. I'm the same one as in your your scriptures. I'm the second person of the Trinity. He didn't do that. That would have been a a very Western thing to do. And we we need to remember that when we we hear this accusation that Jesus never said he was God or that Christianity has distorted uh, Jesus. And so if Jesus said it, he said it not in a Western way, but he said it in a Jewish way. And we need to really sort of grapple with that because uh, that means there would be certain things about him, certain things about what he said and did that would leave them in no doubt as to who he was, none other than God. The God of their past, the God of their, their scriptures. That there, there would be no doubt that when you, when, that, that this, this person who was living with them, who was speaking to them, who was doing certain things, was none other than God manifest in the flesh. And there's no doubt that when you read the New Testament, that is exactly what the Jews thought. Because there were certain things that he said and certain things that he did that horrified them. How could God be in flesh? How can you say things like that? How can you do things like that? And the fact is that Jesus both taught and acted as if he was one with God, that he was indeed God himself. And there are various miracles that reveal Jesus acting as if he was the God of Scripture. Let me give you three examples. The stilling of the storm. So there we we see Jesus in the midst of the, the turbulence of the elements which God had created that storm that had arisen, and and suddenly we see Jesus speaking to these elements, speaking to these humanly uncontrollable forces, and speaking those words, peace, be still. Suddenly we see that this Jesus, this Jesus, this man, this, this person has authority over the elements of this world, over the forces of nature, over the very things that God had created. Therefore, there must be something about him. He must be more than a mere man. Maybe he was God. And then we see him walking on the water. 
And you, that marvelous occasion when the disciples are in the boat and, 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 and Jesus comes walking across the, the water to them. And in many ways, it, it parallels what goes on in the Old Testament where God uh, reveals himself in the burning bush and yet the bush is not consumed. And here Jesus, as a man, as it were, comes walking on the water and yet somehow he doesn't sink and is not drowned. Who is this man? Who is this person? walking on the water towards them. It could be none other than God, for he has power over the very elements themselves. And then you think of the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and there they were, they, they went up the mountain, the, and he took those disciples with him. And there on the mount, suddenly there was a, something dramatic that took place. Suddenly the presence and the glory of God and, and Jesus was transfigured before them. This man that they had been walking with, who they had been listening to, who they had been watching do various things, suddenly he is transformed. And they see a, somebody beyond a man, beyond a human man, and they see uh, the glory of God. And Moses and Elijah get to see what they couldn't see when they were here on earth. The unveiled face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Staggering encounter. Some other things that Jesus said and did in, in, the, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which kind of affirm the fact that he was God. In Matthew 1 and verse 23, he is described as Emmanuel, God with us. He would be given this name. It was a unique name. And he would be Emmanuel, God present with his people. So right from the very beginning there in those Gospels, there is that statement, this, this one, this, this baby is different from every other baby that has ever been born. He is Emmanuel. John the Baptist declares of Jesus, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And uh, that's a reference back to an Old Testament reference and, and where there would be this proclamation and if you look in the Old Testament, it uses the capitals there. Prepare the way of the Lord. So this was none other than Jehovah. This was none other than Yahweh. This was none other than the eternal God, the one who has no beginning or no end. This was the one who created, who spoke the worlds into being and was sustaining them by his power. And John the Baptist cries of Jesus, prepare the way of the Lord. And so John the Baptist knows what he's about, even though he would have some questions later on and send some guys along to find out a bit more. He was worshipped by the leper. He spoke with authority and acted with authority. You think of the paralytic and how he was, he was brought before Jesus and, and Jesus goes to heal him and as he does so, he gives forgiveness of sins. And like everybody in the room is like, whoa, you can't do that because that's a God thing. And so again, in their, their, their own experience, they're encountering things that say, this is God. He's not standing there saying, guys, girls, I'm God, look at me, look at what I can do. He's doing things that only God can do. He heals the paralytic. He, 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 he brings forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins which only God could do. And, and for that, they, they accused him of blasphemy. They, they said, only God can do that. That's a God thing. And he didn't deny it because he was God in flesh. Wow. Some staggering things. The public viewed Jesus as a speaker with far greater authority than the scribes and the Pharisees. 
He claimed authority over the Sabbath. He claimed he was greater than the temple. I mean, these are staggering things because it was what God said about the Sabbath and, and yet Jesus comes and he talks and he acts and he has, he has authority over the Sabbath. So who are you, Jesus? And he says, I'm greater than the temple. And they, and they know only too well that the temple is the dwelling place of God and, and yet Jesus comes along and says, I, there's one here who is greater than the temple. One of the interesting ones is how Jesus reframes the commandments based upon his own authority. You go to the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard this, the, the, what was said, but this is what I say unto you. You have heard of what was said, but this is what I say unto you. And so this reframing of the commandments. And it's interesting that the renowned Jewish scholar Jacob Nersner when interviewed about his book, A Rabbi Talks with Jesus, said that he found Jesus' approach to the law so unsettling that he made him want to ask Jesus, who do you think you are, God? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, he's God. He says he has authority to judge the nations. He, he claims authority to, to raise people from the dead uh, and something that, only God can do. And so over and over again, you can read through, and I, I would recommend, you know, a fresh reading of the Gospels. You know, as Christians, we so often get into Acts, and we, we get into the letters, and we, we kind of leave the Gospels behind, but we need to keep Jesus in front of us. You know? We need to recover, again, the, the beauty, the glory, the wonder, the dynamic of who Jesus is. To be able to read those scriptures and to hear those things in that Jewish context and realize what was going on, that this man was more than a man. He was, he was God there in human flesh. He was God loving them. He was God speaking to them. He was God healing them. He was God delivering them. He was truly Emmanuel, God with them. And of course, if you go over to John's Gospel, you can find it over and over and over again. Come with me to John chapter 1. Probably some of the most staggering and sublime words in all of Scripture. So John chapter 1. John wants to make something abundantly clear. He's writing for years later. And he's writing to Jew and he's writing to Gentile. He has a cosmopolitan audience in mind. And right at the very beginning, he says, in the beginning was the Word. Begin in, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This is where I, I, I dig down with the Jehovah's Witnesses because they will retranslate their Greek at this point to say that use the terms a God. And uh, that's, that's messing with the Greek. And when it comes a bit further, a bit, a bit later on, they, they go back to it when they, when they talk about uh, John. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So they, they translate literally there, but they don't do it here. But John says very clearly, in the beginning, the Word already existed. Who was this Word? It was Jesus. 
The word was with God. That is to, to be with him in presence. To be face to face to him. And so he's, he's revealing something else that's going on in the Godhead regarding the Trinity. And the word was, with God, was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And yet we know that if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, we go back to, to Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here we see Jesus being active in creation. In the beginning, God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness never extinguishes it. And then later on in verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So right at the beginning, John is saying, this Jesus is none other than God, the one who was involved in creating the heavens and the earth. This Jesus who is now dwelling, who is now with us is God in the flesh. And it's a staggering book to go through and, and look at those various signs. And John sets it out in various ways where he gives seven signs and he points in different ways, therefore, to, to Jesus. And just to reference one or two things, he, he, claimed, he said Jesus claimed equality with God the Father. So John 5, verses 17 and 18 says this, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father and making himself equal with God. And then uh, in John 10, verse 33, Jesus answered him, sorry, the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And John 10, 38, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I mean, so you go through John's gospel and, and there's greater clarity. John is writing with a very distinct purpose to, commit, to communicate to a, a much wider audience. And then you come to the I am statements that John refers to. And probably the biggest one is when Jesus says in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Every Jew would have known what Jesus was claiming at that particular point in time. Jesus was God. God in flesh with man residing. Staggering thought. Let me think of some of the examples in the letters, and if you just want to make some notes here. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, that though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to, to cling to. You think of Colossians, and let's just go to Colossians chapter, chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 15, where you, again you have these magnificent words, Christ is the vis visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before ever anything else and he holds all creation together 
And Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Staggering. Absolutely staggering. And and that, those few verses themselves are worth taking away and using in your quiet time to meditate on Jesus, to catch again the, the wonder and the glory of this one who, was, uh, who dwelt in human flesh. And then in Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, the radi- it says that he, that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's something only God can do. And then, in thinking this through, what staggers me even more is Paul's experience. And that's worth reflecting on, because something happened to Paul. He was, if you like, a a Pharisee uh, to the nth degree. He had a bloodline. He he knew and he lived the law. And he said, as far as that's concerned, I I live blamelessly. And you you read in Philippians 3 exactly who uh, Paul was, his, his background before he encounters Christ. He knew what he believed and what he didn't believe. He he was a man of great conviction. He, he knew that God was one and he knew of Jesus. Whether he actually met him or heard him, we, we don't really know for sure. But he certainly knew of him and he certainly knew of his claims. And, and because of his, his own convictions, he, he pursued those early believers with great energy and he, he threw them into prison, was involved in their stoning. He was a terror to the early church, persecuting, arresting, and throwing into prison those who followed Jesus. So here you have this man, this man who is an Israelite to the core, this man who is a Pharisee to the core, this man who who just, Jesus doesn't fit his theology. And then one day, he's on a journey and he encounters him. Again, go back and read the encounter. How this, this man who, who had his theology, who had his convictions, who was going about serving God in the way he best knew how, suddenly encounters Jesus Christ. And that encounter was to change him. It revolutionized him. It transformed him. It turned his theological world upside down, inside out, the right way up. And he preached Jesus famously. I mean, people look to the the story of Paul. People make films about Paul's life because he was such a, a believer in, he was such a follower of, he was so enamored by Jesus Christ that wherever he went, he was proclaiming this wonderful good news. It's worth then thinking about Paul's own testimony. Why should this man have so radically changed where he was rejecting this Jesus and now suddenly he believes in him and he's proclaiming him 
as indeed God and God manifest in flesh, God coming and dying for our sins and rising again to new life. Somebody has said this, that we can't, uh, can't define the identity of God apart from Jesus. That's a great statement. If you want to know God more, go back and read the Scriptures. Go back and read the Gospels. Discover Jesus afresh. Let His glory be revealed to you. Pray, Holy Spirit, please, just show me more about this wonderful person, Jesus Christ. But of course, in all of this, there is that very real danger that it becomes an intellectual belief. It becomes a belief in somebody who's, who was there in history, who, who did something for me, and, and yes, he may be alive today, and he's in heaven, and one day I will see him in heaven. But it can, there is a very real danger. It, become, it becomes disconnected from our daily lives. And one of the things I, I love about Paul is that he will not allow that. He will not, as it were, simply allow us to have a, a creedal faith, a faith that believes all the right things about Jesus, but it doesn't impact our lives. And so in this second part, I just really want to look very briefly at what it means to have, for faith and experience, for, to, to, to live in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus isn't simply a belief that we are sent to. He isn't simply a part of a creed that we believe in. He is a person, a very real person, a very alive person, a very engaging person. And being a Christian is more than an assent to certain truths about Jesus, but it's knowing him. And, and when I read Paul, he, he encountered him and he encountered Jesus on that day that completely revolutionized how he knew Jesus. And yet he's able to write that yes, I, I know him, but I know that there's more to know about him. I know that I can know him better. And so he says, my, my desire is, is to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I, I wonder this morning if, if that's your desire. Whether you've just camped out at your new birth experience and say, well, you know, I'm in, and that's great. I'm forgiven, and that's great. And I know, should I die? I've got a home in heaven, and that's great. But do you, do you know him? Do you want to know him more? Because you see, that would be, if Paul was here, I can imagine him preaching that. He'd be saying, Coming on, come on, brothers and sisters. There is so much more than this. Don't let your theology just be head knowledge. Come into a deeper experience, a growing relationship, a growing understanding and relationship with this one who is Jesus Christ. Paul's constant refrain when you, you read the letters is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You look at the beginning of Ephesians and just see there in the first 14 verses how many times he does that. So for Paul, it was not just believing that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh who lived and died and rose again for us, but this God who was manifest in the flesh and was now in glory was in actual fact very relevant to us today. So why is it important? And I must confess, over the last few weeks as I've been reading and just meditating in different ways on Jesus and, and what he's done and 
how we connect with that. And I've known about being in Christ, but to go back there and discover again afresh what it means to be in union with Jesus is it's just so wonderful. And it's interesting that you can pick up various Christian books about the Christian life and they will talk about justification, they will talk about sanctification, etc. But very few of them these days will talk about what it means to be in Christ. Or to use the old terminology, what it means to be in union with Christ. What it means to be in union with him. And the more you explore it, the more you think about it, you realize that union with Christ is so often the missing link. I can know that I'm justified. I can know that I'm sanctified. I I can know various things about what he's done. But union with Christ brings all those things into focus in a helpful way in my day-to-day life. So it's the missing link. And because too often people base their faith on their their own performance. And as a result, they they become locked in a a never-ending cycle where we are only as sure of God as what our current emotions and obedience will allow. That's quite right widespread today. That we're only as sure of God as what our present current emotions and obedience will allow. We have our eyes fixed on ourselves. And then thirdly, because we end up with a Christ who is out there and not in here. A Christ who is out there and not in here. I can believe all the right truths about justification, and that will put Christ out there having done something for me, but Paul says it's more than that, it's Christ in here. It's Christ in here. So you might confess, for example, with all your might that you are a new creation in Christ. But if you're not sure who Christ is, what he's done, it will become an empty confession that relies on your power to believe more strongly and to enact it. And that's a hard place to be. There are several examples of this union in Scripture, and we haven't got time to, to look at them all and And so we have the relationship of the human body to its head in 1 Corinthians 12, of stones to a building in Peter. Uh, Jesus speaks of the vine and the branches. And uh, Paul speaks of of the marriage. And those kind of things, this is where it kind of gets a little bit mystical. But did you know that the same applies to marriage? Yeah? Did you know that there is a, a mystery to marriage? And Paul talks about it, how the two are one. You know, you end up with a man and a woman coming together and it says that they are one flesh. And he says, this is a mystery, doesn't he? Yeah? (laughs) Some of you are not so sure. (laughs) But you know, you can end up, and, and when you think of marriage, which is such a beautiful example, because you have two individuals coming together in a marriage and there is a legal union that takes place. And you think of the marriage ceremony. And you think particularly in, in our culture and some others as well, where, where as, the, as the woman comes into that marriage, she takes on the identity of her husband. Yeah? So she loses her surname and she takes on the name of the one that she is marrying. There is a union that takes place. There is a, a legal union that takes place. But, do you know, if that's all that marriage is you've got a sad marriage at the end of the day. 
Because that union has to be explored. That union has to be processed. That union has to be worked on for it to be the fullness of its reality. And so Paul uses this wonderful picture of of marriage. It's legal, but it's relational, and it requires ongoing attention. And the beauty of the Christian message is that Jesus has united his life to ours. That our lives have been eternally united to Christ. That he doesn't live out there, but he, he lives in our hearts by his spirit. And so our identity is now wrapped up in his. So when I think of my identity, I don't start with me, I start with Jesus. With who he is. With what he's done. With what he's doing now. And who I am in him. Wonderful. It's union with Christ that gives us our new identity. It's in knowing and living in Him that we find that identity, that we grow in that identity, that we flourish in that identity. And we can only understand who we are then in union and communion with Him. When we make the work of Christ into something that's out there, we end up with a gap in our lives. We, we end up with a, can end up with a yawning chasm between what we believe and what we experience. It can just lead us into trying to believe harder. And believe me, I've been there. And I try and believe harder. Or else we try and work harder and I've been there. And both leave us frustrated And not only that, it can leave people not only frustrated, but disillusioned, disappointment. And some people will even drop out, feeling that somehow this this just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's union with Christ that ties the whole thing together. It really is. And so as we draw to close this morning, this Jesus is God. Staggering. The eternal God dwelling in human flesh. It's quite evident from Scripture, both in what they call the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus said he was God in a Jewish way. And John expounds it in a greater way for a greater audience. And as you go through the Acts and as you go through the epistles, you discover Jesus was every bit God. And then you discover what he's done. And it's staggering. This God dies on a cross for us. This God goes right down into the depths for us. This God rises again for us. This God ascends into heaven for us. This God is there for us. And not only that, Jesus said... Uh, When I go away, I will come to you and I will make my home with you so that there is not simply a belief, but there is a union that takes place. He comes and he resides in our hearts. He's not out there, but he's in here. Maybe you need to go away this week and, and meditate on that. The God who is in here. And perhaps for some, you've kind of lost your way a bit and you've been struggling to find where God is and actually he's, he's in here by his spirit 
you are in union with him. He's not out there. He's here. He is with you. He is with you. And he wants you to develop that relationship in an ever-increasing and more beautiful and wonderful way so that these other great truths will have a greater impact upon your life.